everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive in EDU podcast. I am Rochelle Danae Post. Thanks for joining in. If it's your first time listening, thank you, especially. I hope you will continue and subscribe. And if you've been listening for the last, oh goodness, five seasons, you know that it, in many cases, it's just been me talking to myself, but I've been really fortunate lately. I've had some amazing guests on and I'm very excited today because I do have a guest with me and I am looking forward to learning all about, well, I don't want to do any spoilers because I don't want to take away from our conversation. But first of all, I would like to welcome my guest. And my guest today is Dr. Hazel Woods, who is the Associate Program Director and Professor of Practice at Tulane SOPA, which I will tell you, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I did have to look it up just to make sure. But first of all, welcome, Dr. Woods. Thank you so much, Rochelle. It's so nice to be here with you today. And I'm looking forward to telling people a little bit about our program at Tulane School of Professional Advancement, otherwise known as SOPA. <laughs> yes, and I did in full transparency, and we talked about this uh, earlier, that I did look it up because I was curious. And so I can't wait to learn more about it. I did investigate a little bit of the site to check out some of the programs, so I can't wait to learn from you. And I know our listeners will be excited to learn as well. But first of all, I always like to ask my guests, because I'm asked this a lot as well, like, how did you get to where you are today? You know, did you always know you wanted to be in education, be an educator? Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and how you ended up at Tulane SOPA. Sure. Um, well, at first, um, I'll tell a little funny story. When I was younger, um, I, I thought I wanted to be a hairdresser. And so I had a name and everything. It was Hazel's House of Hair. <laughs> And that was like in middle school grades. And then I said, okay, well, maybe let me think of something else. And then I thought about teaching and I had some great teachers um, in my pre-K-12 education experience. And so I decided I wanted to be a classroom teacher um, and I loved little kids. So I said, you know what? I want to teach the little ones. And so um, that's what I did. I went to college um, and started off as a classroom teacher teaching first grade. And I was born and raised in New Jersey. Um, and so I spent um, seven years there. And then I decided to um, relocate to New Orleans. And then I taught um, public school one year there. And then I ended up moving to the college level. Um, I really liked reading. And so um, I was teaching first graders to read. And then I said, oh, I don't think I want to be in a leadership position. So let me just uh, learn a little bit more about reading. And so then um, I had my master's degree and I came to New Orleans and taught one year in the public school system and then moved to the college level and then spent some time um, doing some community service and service learning work. Um, and then um, I got involved in adult education while I was working at the college level. And so that that interest sort of led me to um, thinking about going back to school one more time. And so unfortunately, um, some of my career paths were interrupted when Hurricane Katrina happened. And so I said, okay, what am I gonna do now? Um, I have a three-year-old, I was doing some work and our house um, um, was flooded. And so I said, I need to refocus. And so then I went back to school one more time and um, received my doctorate um, in curriculum instruction um, with a focus in urban education. And so that's how I ended up sort of at um, the uh, education department. And so 
I was working at the University of New Orleans, and then I started a charter school here in New Orleans, and then we did, I did that for a little bit, and then I ended up at Tulane in the education department. So I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different phases and programs, um, and um, I'm really happy to be here at Tulane. Um, my overall goal, once I decided I wanted to be in the teaching profession, was to work in um, an education program. Um, and so that's where I am right now. So um, um, a lot of different journeys and little side roads along the way, but it's really helped me understand the perspective of sort of like that parent, the child and um, the student as well. So I'm happy, happy to be here at Tulane. Oh my gosh, there are so many things that you said that I'm just, nobody can see me, but I'm nodding my head and they're resonating with me. But I have to start with the name of, first of all, wanting to be you know a hairstylist and the name that you had picked out. So who knows, like in, it is a journey, like all of the different things that we do. I find educators have so many interesting stories. And that's what I love so much is hearing the story because often everybody just thinks that oh, you always wanted to be a teacher, you know, and, and that, that is true for some people. Some people knew like from early on that, yes, I want to go into education. This is what I want to do. And some people, I, that was the furthest thing from their mind and then everything in between. And it's, it's all about opportunities is what I find as well. And keeping your mind open. I had a conversation with some of my students today because like you, I've continued to enroll in different programs. Uh, you know, I got my bachelor's, I did not get my master's right away because I just didn't really find a program that I was that interested in. Plus, you know, when you first start teaching, when I first started teaching, we didn't have the teacher preparation programs available and, and all of that support that's available now. I wish we did, but we did it. And so then I went and I got um, a degree. Finally, I got my master's. And before my master's, I got my law degree. And then I decided, mm -hmm. oh, maybe I'll get the master's in technology. And then now I'm working on my doctorate. But uh, you know, the joke is like, what are you going to do next? And why do you do this? You know, what's, what's your next goal? What's, what's your point of doing this? And I said, just, I like to learn. I like to know about opportunities. I like to help other people. And they, and my students will say, and you say you didn't know you want to be a teacher. I said, well, I played school as a kid. I didn't necessarily know that that's what I wanted to do. So I love that part of your story that you've, you've had all of these experiences um, the other part is the first grade, teaching the first grade. I, I know as a high school teacher, I always say, I don't know how you do it. And I know the elementary teachers say, we don't know how you do it, but you really do. You are responsible for so much. And just based on what you shared, you know, so far about your background, your experience that got you to where you are today, you really have worked with like students of all ages from different backgrounds and different areas. I mean, closer to me in New Jersey than you are now located <laughs> in NOLA, I will say. But uh, but it's interesting just to hear the path. And I love the fact that it's like that continued learning. And then also that personal investment you investment that you have that you want to help others. And that's kind of what drives you in, in so many directions. And so now we get to dive into, because like I want to hear all about the programs and what's offered. So with the work, I guess actually before I'm going to dive into that, what does a day like look like for you? You know, how busy are you? Because it seems to me when I think about higher education and, and anybody that's doing the type of work that you do, just there's so much going on and there are so many responsibilities. So, and you seem very like, you know, non-stressed. And so I wonder like, what is your day look like? And could you tell us a little bit more? 
Sure, Michelle. And I will say my secret to not looking stressed is like I um, almost set a timer. And every so often after I'm sitting in front of the computer for a while, um, I'll go outside and take a walk. And that keeps me like minimally stressed. I'll say that. <laughs> so that's my little secret about trying to stay stress free as possible. Um, but I'll tell you a little bit about my day. Um, most of my day is spent in meetings. Sometimes I'm having meetings internally um, with faculty members, with other members, um, the program director and I, we have a weekly meeting every week. And then we also have faculty meetings. We have faculty meetings twice a month. We just um, finished with our accreditation review. So we spent a portion of that time really focusing on that and making certain that we were prepared for our accreditation review. Um, and then some of the other parts of my day are spent, um, you know, just preparing for class. Um, I am the associate director of the pre-K-12 education program. And in addition to that, I'm teaching a class as well. And so um, a couple days a week, I spend part of my time preparing for class, responding to um, emails from students in my class, um, getting ready, grading assignments. Um, and so that's um, a a large portion of my day. Um, the other thing, and I'll talk a little bit about this too, um, is that we just received a federal grant. And so I have external partners that I um, meet with and, and speak with about um, just different program goals, what are we doing, um, other people who are hired to carry out that work as well. Um, and so I spend Part of my day in meetings, part of my day planning. Planning and reflection is really important for me as someone who is in the education field and just overall just believes in lifelong learning and also taking that time to step back um, and really reflect and think about what am I doing? What's the impact and what do I need to do next? And how can I um, improve what I'm doing and what are programs doing overall? So. Um, I try to spend Fridays just, um, you know, cleaning up my my desktop or files and also trying to be a little reflective with myself as well as others. Yeah, well, I we're we're very much alike in a couple of ways. The, the walk is like that's a must, a non-negotiable for me, usually right when I get home from school. And actually, I started to do that during the school day, during my planning period, just even a quick like around the building, you know, see some colleagues, see some see some of the students and. You know, we're, I teach in a small school and they're, they're, you know, there can be like weeks that go by and you're like, do you actually still teach here because I haven't seen you in weeks, but it's so important to focus on like our wellness and to taking, taking those breaks because education is not easy. It does not become easier the longer that you're in it. There are more responsibilities and things that we have to, to work with. And then also that reflective piece, again, had I known years ago when I started teaching how important reflection is, not just in the work that we do, but just in everyday life to think about like, you know, how did I do today? Okay, what was what went well? What did not go so well? What can I do better tomorrow? And that's a good message for everybody who's listening and to share with students too, because the more that we do that and model that for them, you know, I mean, that's going to help them in any number of ways. And so um, I love hearing about your day to day. It, it does sound like it, it's exhausting because there are so many things, but I think it gives people that are listening that may not necessarily be in education a perspective of how much is involved. You know, there's constantly something that we're doing that's, you know, the lesson planning, the emails, the communications, the time with colleagues. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, especially when it comes to 
uh, you know, now compared to when I started teaching, which we will not share when that was, but the preparation has changed so much. And we didn't have the technology. We didn't have all the resources, especially for connecting and building our networks. And so, you know, I did happen to look at the, at the site to see the program. So I do know the grant that you were talking about, the new um, collaboration, I don't, for lack of a better word, but in, in starting, what are some of the, you know, things that are in place, the strategies that you use whenever you are looking at the work that you do at Tulane, SOPA, as I will say, and you're talking about pre-K through 12 for increasing access for teacher preparation? Yeah, um, so I just want to just touch on that one point that you said about um, modeling um, in first grade, you know, you're working with six and seven year olds. And so that's one thing. It's been a while since I've um, been in the classroom with uh, first graders, but I really like firmly believe in the modeling piece. And so that's that's key for me. Um, and so um, when we think about modeling, like what is it that we want to do to help our teacher candidates in our program? And so we try to model the things that we want. And so one of the things is flexibility, as you know, um, and you spoke about um, education looks a little bit different for us, not only um, like in the pre-K-12 classroom, but in higher ed. And so we have a couple different ways we deliver courses. So students can come on campus and they have courses face to face. Um, we also have hybrid courses, um, which is sort of a combination of like um, synchronous and asynchronous online learning. And then we have remote courses, which is pretty much asynchronous. You have about four classes a semester that are meeting like online at the same time. And so for us, we um, try to have flexibility with the way in which we deliver our courses and also flexibility with time as well. Um, some of our um, courses are offered during the day and others are offered in the evening. Um, our name, School of Professional Advancement, is really um, a school within Tulane University that allows working professionals to go back to school um, and either earn a certificate or a degree. And so we offer our courses in the evening and during the daytime. So those are a couple of things that we do um, to try to increase um, our enrollment and recruitment process. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll make sure that um, in the show notes, I'll put links to, because the website has, I mean, any question that you could possibly have, just you go to the website and everything is there because I, I, did, I didn't know where, when to stop looking, actually, because I was so interested to see, you know, the fact when we talk about education for some people, you know, even still, it can be something that is not they, they can't do for, for a number of reasons. Uh, but years ago, you know, we didn't have access to so many resources. Uh, you know, the schedules were conflict, the financial burden, the travel and all of that. And it's so nice that students have these options where maybe they're balancing, you know, family life or work schedules or any number of things. And that's one, I guess, positive thing that came out of, you know, our experience of, you know, three years and even still for some that are working virtually, uh, learning that like, we can still learn, you know, yes, it's, it's great to be in person because you have that time together, but we can still keep learning going, whether we're in person, we're virtual or hybrid. So knowing that students who are interested in pursuing, you know, additional, like, like us still enrolling in courses and ongoing, like you have options and you're not confined geographically to where you are. Like you can participate in learning, which I think 
is key um, for, you know, for everybody. And I think that's a message that people maybe don't necessarily know as much about because, you know, they weren't used to that when they went through school or they got certain degrees or certifications. So it's good to know that. Uh, And for, you know, the resources, I kind of touched on like that there's a lot of resources available. You know, what are some that are in place that, you know, that, that speak, you know, to equity that you can share with our listeners? Sure. Um, so one of the things that I want to um, talk a little bit about is um, the SEED grant, Supporting Effective Educator Development. Um, and um, I think it's, well, I'm just going to tell a little bit of a personal story. So, you know, I started off teaching first grade and then I decided I wanted to go back to school, um, but I couldn't afford to just like stop school and then go back to grad school. So I took classes at night. Um And so, again, having that flexibility at SOPA where students are able to work a full-time job and then also continue their education in the evening time, that's really helpful. And so we that's one of the things we do at SOPA. So many of our um, students enrolled in the education program are classroom teachers during the day, um, and they want to go back to school. And um, I think almost everyone nationally, it varies, but the salaries that teachers receive is sometimes not like as adequate or like as much as we want it to be. And so with this seed grant, we were able to partner with um, additional education preparation providers. Um, And so again, instead of working in competition, we're working collaboratively. And then one of the things that um, Tulane SOPA decided to do when we wrote the grant was to provide a tuition waiver. So we have teachers right now receiving their master's of arts and teaching and going back and becoming certified. And then their tuition is waived. So they continue to work at their full-time job, impacting the community, um, working, and then going to school full-time, um, um, full-time, two classes, usually one or two classes in the semester. And they can go fall, summer, um, and spring, and they have the tuition waiver. So I think that's one way in which we're allowed people, allowing people to continue to work and then providing that tuition waiver. Um, so that's, um, that is, that has really helped us increase enrollment, increase enrollment significantly this past uh, summer and fall. Yeah. And that is, I did, um, I think I came across, I, I looked at like news and information. Uh, and when you said about that grant, it's, it's wonderful whenever those types of opportunities and funding become available because I know how expensive education can be. I just, you know, going to law school, I don't want to tell you how many years it took me to pay off the loans. And people will say like, oh my gosh, you know, what are you using it? And I say, yes, I use it. You know, as a teacher, it's helped me to like think about things differently, build the confidence and, you know, the value in learning in itself. I mean, that's the value. But of course we know that like, you can't just say, hey, there's the value. You need some help and assistance. So it's good to know that if, if educators, students, anybody that's interested and wants to pursue and get another degree or work on their master's or continue, you have the PhD. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I, I think I will stop with the doctorate, but to know that there's resources out there, because I think for a lot of students, uh, and, and regardless of the age, because we're not talking to students right out of high school, we're talking adult learners too. Of course, uh, I think a lot of times that sometimes stops people from thinking that they can pursue a degree like, oh, I would like to work on my master's or I would like to become certified in this, but, you know, I don't have the time or I can't make it to class on the physical campus or the financial aspects of it. And so 
you know, you've mentioned, you know, some of the, you know, components of the program that you have that help with that flexibility. Is there anything else that makes it a little bit easier for students to kind of take advantage of some of the programs that you have? I mean, you said you have like a hybrid, there was a virtual. Yes, sure. And so um, one of the like the criteria for the C grant is that you do need to teach in New Orleans public schools. And we have other students who are teaching in other um, school districts, um, surrounding school districts. And so we have some other grants that the state provides. There's a Go Teach grant. And then for um, anybody that's a full time educator, they can receive a 20 percent discount. Um, with the with their course, so that helps reduce tuition. Um, so that's some those are some things that are helpful. And we talked earlier, Rochelle, about like modeling, right? Modeling what we want our students to do, and just modeling behaviors. And so, um, Tulane University has um, an EDI education um, equity, diversity, and inclusion days in the spring, where they have professional development free for all of their faculty and staff. And then the School of Professional Advancement had their own day and we all got together face to face. Um, I was on that committee, so I helped do some of the planning and participated in that. So we were really um, you know, focused on what is it that we want to do and what does that mean for our School of Professional Advancement? And then this summer, there's another um, organization on campus called CELT and they had a five day redesign um, course Institute, like to redesign your course and really, again, be reflective and think about what does your course look like now and what are some things that you can do to redesign that course um, so that you really have a strong sense of inclusivity and equity, equity with what you're doing. And so um, that's been really powerful for me. And I didn't just like say, oh, this is what I learned. We had a faculty retreat um, before the fall semester started. So I shared some of those things. And then um, uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, I did a, sort of a little like Friday luncheon webinar and two of us that attended like shared it with other people who were interested in, um, you know, learning um, how you can do small little redesigns with your courses so that we're, yeah, you know, promoting and ensuring that we have equity and um, inclusivity with our work that we do, so. Yeah, and uh, the, just hearing like just webinar, you know, just even that in itself, like being able to share the work that you're doing with people who aren't there or, you know, I, I'd love to attend, but I can't make it. And then you have the recording and, you know, technology. That's why I just think that, you know, assuming that everybody has access to technology, because that first and foremost is number one priority is uh, making sure people have the access to it. But there is just so much potential and there's so many possibilities for like, how you can learn, when and where you can learn, and all of that. And so that's what gets me excited because I know when I got my master's degree, after getting my law degree, I taught, I was teaching full-time, but I went physically to campus four nights a week in Pittsburgh. And I, don't, I did that for four years. And I look back now and I think, how did I do that? And then it was almost, it was like eight years between that and my master's. And the master's was mostly done online with a few courses on campus. So it was kind of nice, but even now working on my doctorate, I thought, I don't know if I can, I can go. And I did look for some other programs that, that did have kind of like a hybrid option too, where they had you come on campus, you know, like on a Saturday or in the summer um, in different programs. But I love hearing about all of the different activities and events that you have, the programming to, you know, not just confined to, you know, the, the school or the, the organization that you're working in, but to kind of spread that message and share that beyond that to build awareness. Because I think a lot of times too, 
like I said, people don't necessarily know. I mean, I'm in Pittsburgh. I don't know. I couldn't tell you about all of the programs or what is offered. Uh, and, you know, as a high school educator and in my school district, you know, we may not necessarily know what's happening at the local universities. And Pittsburgh has a lot of universities uh, and there, there might be great programs. I just don't personally know about them. And so tossing the question over to you, you know, with the work that is being done, you know, at Tulane and in your program, you know, and located in New Orleans, are you seeing, you know, like, what are, what are you seeing? Like, are you noticing any changes in um, education itself? Are you seeing any impact on like school districts or an increase in enrollment or like public schools? I know I'm asking you lots of different variables because all of those components that make up, you know, the whole educational landscape, but you're not in a small area. And so what are you noticing, you know, how the impact is, is affecting the schools? Yeah, that's a great question, um, Rochelle. And it's um, a big question for us in this particular um, region because in, um, and I know in, you know, in other parts of the country we have counties and in Louisiana, we have um, what's called parishes. And so for Orleans Parish, um, we have a, a system that's set up a little bit differently. We don't have a centralized school district. It's decentralized and it's a 100% public charter schools. Um, and so we roughly have, and these are like stats from like 20, like last academic school year, 22, 23. And so there's roughly about 44,000 students um, in 72 um, public charter schools in New Orleans. And so there has been some growth. Um, we still have issues that some other um, school districts have in cities um, with poverty. Um, but one of the things that I really like to stress is that we have seen specifically in Orleans Parish growth in academic achievement. Um, and so for us, I think that's really um, a big, big piece and something that's um, made an impact. And, and um, one of the things that I just wanted to mention about um, our candidates or our students that are enrolled in our programs, as I mentioned early, many of them are full-time teachers. And so I think the education that they're receiving and learning to go back to school and become certified is really um, showing up with that um, academic um, achievement that we're seeing in classrooms in the PK-12 classrooms in um, New Orleans public schools. Yeah, that, that it's good to hear because like sometimes you don't necessarily always know either what the impact is, uh, which important to have conversations about it too. Uh, locally, you know, like in Pittsburgh, we have, you know, as, as a Spanish teacher, I'm fortunate that the University of Pittsburgh has some programs because for me, like I want my students to have like real experiences and for them to know what's available to them in the different programs. And so I reached out to them and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But, you know, prior to that, like I, I didn't know how to best provide for them. And, and in that they got to connect with and talk with people, you know, students who are majoring in Spanish, which I'm like, yes, we need Spanish teachers. We need teachers in general. Like that is a huge, I mean, there's a huge teacher shortage, uh, which is another topic for a whole other day. But, uh, the the preparation that goes into even like programs like that and getting the word out and building the awareness and then building partnerships with schools and things it's just it's fascinating to me and and it's it's not all the same in different places like you know you mentioned the word parish uh you know like that wasn't something i was familiar with my whole life i'd wanted to go and visit new orleans and i finally got to go last summer for the first time 
And so it was, it was nice to visit there and, and be in that space. Um, and with you talking about the things that for teachers and the programs that you have available, uh, one question that I had that just kind of came up in some of the things you've been talking about is, do you, from any of your interactions, whether, you know, with classes, with colleagues, with anybody that you connect with, do you notice anything that's like a common, like a challenge um, or maybe something that, you know, is kind of lacking or that students may feel like is lacking in teacher preparation or on the flip side that people that are in education or have been for a while are saying, I wish they taught this or I wish we were prepared for this because I honestly, no matter how long you've been in education, I mean, everything is changing. So we, we need to constantly prepare and reflect, like you said, but I was just curious because you are involved in so many different spaces. Is there something that you're, you're kind of noticing, either good or bad or in between? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and one of the things that um, is really exciting about our teacher preparation programs is that throughout all phases, we have three phases. Um, each phase, our students are able to go out into a classroom and we call them like clinical experiences. Um, and then we have formal observations. And so some of the feedback that we've received is that um, our students do really well um, overall in preparation. They're competent, they're professional. Um, and then the, the common thread of like what's still a challenge is classroom management. Um, and I think that happens um, across the board. Um, I've lived in New Jersey, I've lived in North Carolina, and now I'm, uh, I've been in Louisiana, um, and I've had friends in other places. And it seems like that classroom management is something that's difficult, especially for teachers in those first like three years. Um, and I think that's a couple of reasons um, that I think that exists is it's number one, just first getting used to the classroom environment, number one, and whether it's teaching second grade or fifth grade, like classroom management will look different in both grades, right? So it's adjusting to the grade level and then just figuring out, um, you know, how to set up your, your classroom in a way that you are managing children, but you're also giving children a sense of agency. So I, I think it's important to help them understand the expectations in a classroom, um, having high expectations, but also giving them a sense of agency and helping them understand like, this is how we're going to operate and this is what we're going to do and also providing them choice. So um, I always think about like giving people choice, children, but also having um, parameters set within that, um, you know, that, that uh, arena of giving them choices. And so our completers and our school partners, I say completers um, because we just finished our accreditation review and once they leave us, they call them completers. Um, so um, those folks that finished our program, um, that, that was um, one of the comments that they had shared with the reviewers, like, hey, classroom management is still hard for us. Um, and that's the other reason I'll just bring back, um, uh, bring up the seed grant again. That's one reason we're really excited about the seed grant because not only are students able to have the tuition waiver, but we're providing extra coaching and mentoring and support through an induction program during that last year when they do 
um, residency, which used to be called student teaching, now we call it residency for that full year. They'll get um, an extra stipend and support to help them manage and work on that classroom management. And then their first year of teaching after they're finished with our program, um, they'll also receive that extra support. So we're hoping that that will maybe address and get some new, um, you know, new data about classroom management. <laughs> yeah, that is an area that uh, I definitely struggled with earlier on. It's hard when you first you get into the classroom because in a lot of cases, if, unless you're teaching elementary, if a high school teacher, you know, you're closer in age and you're still trying to figure out, you know, who you are and how you fit in and you want to have authority, but you also don't want to be, you know, it's hard to find that balance. And I, I love what you said too about, you know, setting the parameters, but all, you know, also giving them choice and input. And for me, that is something that has become very important because, you know, I, it's, I always say like, it's not just my classroom, like this is our classroom, this is our space. Like, do you think that this is appropriate? And then I'll, I'll turn the table and I say, okay, let's imagine that this is a faculty meeting and I'm, you know, the superintendent or principal or somebody, and you're all teachers and this behavior, I said, do you think that that would be acceptable? And some of the students are like, yeah, not a problem. Like, oh, but you know, I like, I, I like having the conversations. And, you know, again, I wasn't always like that. But I think part of teacher preparation, whether it's in, you know, an, in a program that you're in, or just we're constantly, even if we're in education, we are still in a teacher preparation program every day, because we're going through it. We're like, oh, that went well, or oh, my goodness, that was terrible. Okay, how can I improve? So you just have to be open to that. But I think, being open to having, you know, those conversations and getting the input from students is important too, because it is, you know, they are part of that space. And so they should have a voice and some choices in that too. So thank you for saying that because I, I sometimes question myself, like, should I be doing this or should I be setting up all the rules? And granted, I teach older students and, you know, when you have 17, 18 year old students, sometimes it's, it's kind of tough, but they still have to be you know, they self-understand things. Uh, so anyway, thank you for adding that on. Um, yeah. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't covered uh, and that you would like listeners to know? Oh, and, and I'll just um, end with this last little visual, like when I think about, um, you know, giving people um, students choice, I have like a little scale in mind and I, you don't want to tip the scale. So you have structure and you have choice. So you have structure in the classroom and you also have that choice. And then that way we're developing independent learners. And that's also one of the things that I read about in um, Zaretta Hammond's book about culturally responsive teaching um, and really giving um, children a sense of agency. So just wanted to share that and also allowing them to have like um, um, some kind of participation in like co-constructing their own learning. And again, that was one of the things I learned this summer in um, that equity and inclusivity workshop. So just, um, just making certain that we build healthy relationships, not only with our um, in our classrooms with our students in PK-12 settings, but also with colleagues. I think that's really important. Um, my dissertation topic was about educational resilience. And one of the things that I looked at um, was teacher-student interactions. And I think that's important in everyday life, right, Rochelle, no matter what, not just with students, but anybody that we come in contact with. Um, and so I guess that's my last thing I just wanted to end on is like really thinking closely about the relationships that we have with other people and the kinds of relationships that we want to cultivate with others. So that's a 
my last little um, little tidbit of information, I guess. Yeah. For today. <laughs> no, what well, I love it. I love the the scale visual and the the relationships, and that's true. And that's one of the things that you know I value the most is you know being authentic and being open and building the relationships and just having that supportive structure in place with students, with our colleagues, and so. You've left lots of words of wisdom, and I will be sure to add some more of that into the show notes and all the links so people can check out everything that is offered. And so thank you, Dr. Hazel Woods, for joining me today on this podcast. You're so welcome. Thank you so much, Rochelle, for having me. Of course. And everybody listening, don't forget to check out all of the links that I'll share in the show notes. And then if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to my podcast, my newsletter. And hey, while you're at it, why not my blog too? I am looking for guest bloggers. Would love to share your story. And thanks for listening. And we will catch you the next time.